0: Our reading today is taken from Romans 12, 3 to 8, and it's found on page 1139 of the Church Bibles. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Stephanie. Should we pray? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this rich passage. And we pray, Lord, that you would be at work in our hearts as we focus on it now. Teach us, Lord. Encourage us. Grow us in faith in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we have an exciting part in uh, Romans at the moment. Uh, The Apostle Paul is probably in Corinth at the time. And he's writing to the church in Rome. And as he knows this church of the Corinthians around him and the problems that they've had of disunity, uh, he's writing into a context which might be a little bit different. We don't know a huge amount about the context in Rome, uh, but he thinks it must be useful to encourage them uh, in their unity as a body of Christ. So he includes these words of unity and the body. And as we look through it ourselves, I'm going to break it up into three sections using a sporting analogy, uh, and the sport is going to be hurdles. Um, it, it could be high jump and it could be pole vault, but I'm going to be a bit cheeky and turn it into hurdles. So we're going to have a run up, and then we're going to hurdle our first hurdle, which is going to be the service gifts. But out of those service, out of the gifts, I've taken out this gift of financial giving. And so we're going to hurdle that one next, and then we'll sprint to the finish line, having taken those two hurdles. So the run-up, service gifts, and then financial gifts. So we start off uh, in in this run-up, which is verses 3 to 5. So in verse 3, Paul says this. He says, For by the grace of God given me, I say this to every one of you, Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul says he's writing to those in Rome as an apostle. He's been given the gift of apostleship, which is someone who is sent out to proclaim the word and to build up churches and to continue them in their teaching. So he's written... Uh, to encourage them through teaching them, using this gift of apostleship. And he tells us right at the beginning that this gift of apostleship that he has comes from the grace of God given to him. Did you also know that he's exercising his grace of apostleship in accordance with the faith that has been distributed? Uh, Sometimes it's quoted as a measure of faith, but this measure of faith is a is a faith in Christ so we're not comparing different measures of how much faith you have but rather the focus of the faith which is Jesus Christ and therefore our gifts are focused where our faith is on Christ and building up his body so by grace in accordance with faith and from this right at the beginning we find that these gifts are gifts that are freely given. I mean, think of Christmas coming out where you're going to receive gifts. Children love receiving gifts, and they don't receive them based on merit, but based on the, the generosity of the giver. And so it is true with us as children of God. Our gifts come from God's generosity. God is able to give more gifts, to increase the gifts that we have, And he is able to make us flourish in the gifts that he has given us. And he is also able to take them away because he is our God. And as we understand the gifts of God in this way, we realize that there is absolutely no room for pride in us. These are gifts that have been freely given by him. And God doesn't always use the most competent people in the church but he rather uses people who are willing to be used by him. Think of his disciples, those uneducated fishermen. Why did he choose them? But they were willing, and so he chose them and they were used mightily by him. He is happy to use us even if we're not as competent as we would like to be. We simply have to be willing. The only thing that exempts us from being used by God is our unwillingness. Back in Exodus chapter 4, when Moses has come out of Egypt, he's been living in the desert, having um, fled uh, Pharaoh, and he's been uh, shepherding sheep. He ends up in this place where there's a fire going on. There's a bush on fire, and God speaks to him through this bush. It's a miracle. He hears the voice of God. And God says to Moses, I want you to go back into Egypt and lead my people, Israel, out into the promised land. And you might know from Exodus 4 that Moses starts making excuses. Lord, I've got a crazy stutter. I just can't speak in public. How can you use me? And he has excuse after excuse after excuse. And then eventually Moses says to God, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Moses says to God, God, I am not willing to do this. And it's at this point we read these shocking words that the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And amazingly, the Lord was able to change his heart. And Moses did this most incredible thing, not in his own strength, but in God's strength. When we say to God, I am not willing to serve you, that's a dangerous place to be with our God. He can use us as long as we're willing. Uh, There's an American pastor um, who some of you might have heard of. I, I won't mention his name, but there's a time when he was at Wheaton College studying theology, and he knew that he wasn't able to speak well in public. He said whenever he had to speak in public in a class, he would pretend to be sick, um, probably just from anxiety. Uh, and uh, then, if necessary, he'd flunk a whole course rather than speak in public. But there came a particular day when one of the leaders in the college asked him to do the prayers in church, in chapel. And he said yes. And then he went away into his room and he said, God, I don't know why I've said yes. I can't do this. I can't speak in public. You know, I need your help. And then he decided to make a pact with God. He said, Lord, if you get me through this thing of praying in public in front of these few hundred people, I'll never turn down a speaking invitation again. And God got him through those prayers. And God developed a gift in him of teaching and preaching and used him to preach to people around the world and to. Um, to, to find quite a large church in the States. You might also know the story of David Pryor, who was vicar here before Charles. I remember David telling us when he taught us in the church that I was at in Cape Town that he used to have a horrible stutter when he was at theological college. I believe it was Wycliffe Hall. And it was so bad that he, he, his tutor... In fact, at the end of his study, he said to him, David, I, mean, I love your theology, I love everything you've written in your essays, but you just can't lead a church with the stutter that you've got. It's not going to work. And amazingly, David found out that even though he stuttered in, in private and in small groups, when he got up to speak in front of larger groups of people, got up to speak in front of a church, the Lord gave him this gift of being able to teach and took away his stutter for those times. And he came to us as someone who was weak and humble, but knowing God was able to give good gifts. A third example, if you're willing, is of um, a friend of Michael Green. Michael Green is chap is fantastic at sharing the gospel and brilliant at bringing people alongside him and encouraging them in the ministry of sharing Jesus with others. And just after the Second World War, after... A degree in Oxford, he ended up in a barracks with a number of people for 18 months and uh, compulsory service. And Michael spotted that there was a Christian in this barracks. And so, in the very first night, before lights out, he said to this Christian, Listen, mate, you and me, let's get on our knees uh, in front of our beds. And pray to God before going to sleep. Let's nail our colors to the mast. Right from this beginning. This first day in this barracks together. And the result is many in that barracks came to faith. And one even became a bishop as a result. Um, This chap being willing to be encouraged by Michael um, to pray. So there's no room for pride. God gives the gift. He's able to make those gifts flourish. All we need to do is to be willing. Let's carry on to verses 4 and 5. Paul writes, For just as each of us has, has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. There's diversity in the body, and a necessary diversity in the body. It's like a team. It's like it's like a rugby team. <laughs> uh, if all the rugby players on the field were stacked and strong, uh, then the, the light and fast wings of the other team would sprint around and score tries. But if the whole team were light and nimble, then they'd get pushed around in the scrum. You need a diversity in, 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 the, in, in a rugby team. In any team, you need a diversity in the body of Christ. You need those who are able to push in the scrums with all their might. You need that scrum half who is able to kick the ball over the scrum and uh, give the ball some distance. You want those wings who are able to score the two tries in the corner. Um, And uh, you want a great fly half who is able to convert um, those uh, points from anywhere on the field, even from the halfway line. That's the last I'm going to say on rugby. Um, but, But you want diversity in a body. And the result of us working as a body in our diversity is that we all competing together for a common goal of encouraging each other in faith, growing each other as followers of Christ, and bringing more into the body, encouraging others into following Jesus for themselves. And this focus means that ministries don't compete against each other We aren't individuals who grow our own ministry at the detriment of others, but we are those who work together with the other parts of the body. In verse 5, did you notice that we belong to each other? Have you seen that before? It's a shocking statement in our individualistic age. Each member belongs to all the others. Isn't that crazy? In the 21st century, where you've got to be your own person, to belong to each other in the body. and The the language that Paul is using is, is the language of marriage. We had a couple who got married here yesterday, Tom and Rachel. They're standing right where I am. I was standing in between them. They made vows to each other, and then they came together to belong to each other as husband and wife. They now belong to each other. There's that unity. The two have become one. And Paul is using that language for the church. He uses similar language to how we as believers belong to to Christ as our bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ as a church. We belong to Christ, our bridegroom. It's shocking language. And it's a language of commitment that we have um, to each other. So that is our, our run-up. And our run-up takes us to this first hurdle of service gifts. And Paul mentions a, a number of, of gifts here. Uh, they can be broken up, if you like, into speaking gifts of prophecy, teaching, and encouragement, if that's helpful. And uh, then the service gifts of serving, contributing, leading, leading, and showing mercy. But all these gifts are important for the church as the church works together. Uh, Prophesying, um, as mentioned in the church, is speaking out the words uh, that God would have us speak, both about what's going on now, but potentially sometimes even he gives us an understanding of the future. The Old Testament prophets were able to say, "'Thus says the Lord,' and able to write books of prophecy, um, but which have become scripture. But now the New Testament understanding, since the canon of scripture is closed, is that we don't add to scripture. We are under the authority of scripture when we speak out as we understand the Lord wants us to speak. And any words have to come under the authority of the church as well and be tested by the church. But we have a god who is relational and still wants to speak to us and still gives this gift of prophecy, which Paul mentions. Then there's a gift of serving, which is quite a wide-ranging gift. It's a gift given to, to deacons, those who serve in the church in acts. There's a mention of people waiting on tables, uh, people looking after others. A gift of service. There's a gift of teaching, Paul mentions again in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, So Christ himself gave the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Teachers teach in order to disciple disciples who go out and disciple other disciples. We teach so that people may serve in line uh, with what we see in the Bible, then there's a gift of encouraging, which can also be uh, translated as comforting. Something that the Holy Spirit does. In fact, it's a drawing alongside people. Recently, read a fantastic biography by about um, Bill Slim, General Bill Slim. Uh, he served in World War II. He's the most one of the most decorated generals of all time. He uh, helped out, uh, helped pull people out of Burma. Uh, oversaw the retreat out of Burma as the Japanese advanced and then he regrouped the troops in in India and then came back into Burma uh, and took Burma again uh, for Britain. And one of his comments in the book was that a third of his time, the most important man on the battlefield in this particular area, a third of his time was spent in a jeep driving around and getting to know the troops and encouraging them. That's how important encouraging is in leadership, he says. A third of his time, driving around, asking people their stories, asking them how they've been doing, what's going on in their lives, how he can help. Encouragement absolutely vital, and it's vital in the church as well. When your next vicar arrives, encourage him. Over or her, over and over again, in every way possible. Um, Vickers need all the encouragement that they can get. Pray that you grow in that gift. And then there's leading, which can be described as caring for as well caring for each other. I don't know if you've discovered this in the Bible, but the Bible just doesn't talk all that much about leading. You know, we're so concerned with leadership courses and leadership conferences and we, everything we do so often in, in, in the church and, and, and the larger structure is about leadership. But the Bible talks over and over again about following rather than leading. As Christians, we're those who follow Christ. And all a leader in the Bible is, is someone who grabs someone else and encourages them to follow Christ as well. We're all followers of Christ together. And so that's what caring can look like, leadership can look like. Gathering those who follow Christ together. And then there's showing mercy uh, to those in need. This is pastoral care, if you like, and we're still developing a, a pastoral care team and plan, but it's looking after those who are sick, maybe those who are dying, looking after those who are in need, showing mercy. And after looking at this list, in fact, there are three other lists in the New Testament uh, on spiritual gifts. You might ask, how do I know what my gift is? How do I discern it? Tim Keller, the American pastor, writes this. He says, don't think that you know your real gifts and capacities until you do a lot of humble serving in the many different capacities around the church. Only as you do that will you come to an understanding Of your own aptitudes, experiment, try as many areas as possible, and find out what fits. And I've tried this in the past, uh, serving in many different ways. There's even a time when, uh, in a previous church, when I said to the worship band lead, I said, "I'd I'd be happy to lead worship with you, uh, as long as you mute my microphone." Um, but I can try to smile and, uh, and, and sing loudly as long as no one can hear me. No one wants to hear me. Um, but, but, but offer in many different ways. Just offer. Um, be willing to be used by God, however he might use you. Keller also suggests three words for assessing uh, how you might be used. The first one is affinity. What grabs you? What do you enjoy doing in the church? Affinity. The second is ability. What are you good at? How can you use those things that you're good at to serve God? Ability. And the third is opportunity. Where are the gaps in the church at the moment that need to be filled? And are you willing to come in and to fill those gaps? During this interregnum process in particular, I've been going around saying to people, "There are gaps." Uh, would you like to serve in some way? How does the Lord want you to serve particularly during this next year in the church? And many people have come up to me with ideas that have been on their hearts for a while sometimes that they wanted to put into action but just haven't and have been waiting to be asked that question. In fact, um, I don't want to pick on over Lynn Calzier, lovely Lynn Calzier, said to me a couple of weeks ago, she said, why don't we have a fellowship time? Uh, before church, where people can eat pastries together and drink coffee together, and just have some time to chat to those who they otherwise haven't been uh, chatting with, and uh, so we've arranged for two Sundays' time, Sunday the seventeenth, um, to is it half past nine? Half past nine uh, to, uh, to join uh, everyone in, in, in that side of the church who, who's willing to come early. Uh, Lynn's going to organise some pastries. There's going to be some coffee, and it's just it's just chill out fellowship time. Uh, so thank you, Lynn, for being willing to do that. But I'm sure that you've got other things on your hearts that you'd love um, to do uh, in this church uh, for, for this people. We've got other needs. Men's ministry. Bringing the men together. Let's meet up in the pub every so often and encourage each other. Women are great at meeting together, but the men aren't as good. We've got a need for um, a mentoring young women in the church. If you're willing to do that, there's a need there then there's pastoral care, which I've just mentioned. We're setting something up. Um, But if you'd like to visit those who are housebound uh, or in need, come and have a chat to me as well. There are many areas uh, of opportunity in the church, especially at the moment. And I think I've found in the past that as gifts are used, they're increased and developed. They're grown by the Lord. And... Somehow, in the Lord's economy, giving becomes elastic. And in fact, my wife and I have even found this in the area of finance, in giving finance, that the Lord's able to stretch what remains and give us more so that we could give more. So we get to the second hurdle uh, of financial giving. What does it mean to give generously as Paul commands in this passage? I was asked yesterday, in fact, on the way back from the wedding, my wife and I on the train, we bumped into someone else and we ended up chatting about giving. And she said um, to us, is there such a thing as irresponsible giving, giving too much to the church? And I'm sure that there is such a thing as irresponsible giving when we give to a point where we can't repay our debts uh, and it turns out to be illegal. I'm sure that's irresponsible But in practice, I've never encountered irresponsible giving in the church. Our natural inclination is to look after our money and to keep it rather than to give in the church uh, and give too much to the church. And as a body of Christ, though, at St. Michael's, you guys are so generous, giving of your time and also um, giving of your your, uh, financial gifts that the Lord has given you. But still we find that that a large number of the service, both in uh, time service and and financial service, falls on the shoulders of a small group of people. So I'd like to ask Felicity, who's our treasurer, here she is, um, just to give us a a little picture of where we're standing financially as a church um, to encourage us and also to challenge us.
2: Thanks, Guy. Well, as Guy's just said, I've got three challenges for us this morning as we look at how we can use our finances to better build up the body here and here's the first one if we look back you'll see on this chart there's a yellow line which is our regular expenditure so that excludes what we're giving away as part of our tithe and what we're spending on major projects like redecoration and so on and the blue line is our what we get from income from regular giving And as you'll see, over the past several years... (laughs) ...the blue line hasn't kept pace with the yellow line... ...and it looks like as we go forward into next year... ...that situation will continue. So I'd like now to remind ourselves of where our income is generated. Now you'll see and the light blue chunk... ...on the left on my side, probably on your right... ...we do get some money from a lease on the Sicily restaurant down the road... But we really need that to take care of the building. The other income from events and so on can't be depended on. So we have to rely on the giving from each one of you here. And the biggest single source of that is the pledges that we get. Now, we're really grateful for the one-off gifts and for those of you who give regularly but don't tell us. But here comes the challenge. If you don't tell us we're going to get that income... We can't budget for it. And we could do so much more here if that pledged slice of pie was bigger. So let's look at the last challenge. Of that pledged giving, we're very dependent on a very small number of people. Now, the trend is getting better, but can we do more? I'd like to challenge us that we can. But I do know that not everybody has the same financial resources, And it can be a bit scary making a regular commitment if you feel your income's not very large. So I'd like to encourage us all by sharing how I found out that God really does honour the sacrifices we make for him. In my first job, when I was paid the princely sum of £6,500 a year, which didn't seem a great deal to cover regular expenses, I also felt that the Lord was telling me that I had to share some of my income to help build his body. So I signed a form to make a regular commitment, feeling really afraid that I'd get into awful trouble if any unexpected circumstances came my way, and praying really hard that he'd keep me on budget. Now, a couple of weeks later, I was summoned by my boss's boss to his office, which um, (laughs) was also really scary. But the first thing he did was to apologise that I'd been so terribly underpaid and to give me an immediate 50% pay rise. Now, it's not going to happen in exactly that way for each one of us here. But the Lord does look after those who put his kingdom first. So I'll just end by saying, if you've got any questions about our finances, come and chat to me over coffee. And if you want to make a new pledge or change an existing one, contact our finance secretary, whose details are in the leaflets at the back of the church. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Felicity. And the, the packs at the back of the church, which include finances, also include uh, an area where you, you can sign up um, for serving in different ways in the church. And please take that home with you, um, pray through it, and, uh, and maybe make some decisions about how you'd like to serve in the church as well as decisions about pledging uh, in the church. Now, you might be asking this question of how practically do I go about deciding how much to give and what to give. Um, my wife and I found when we arrived at a church in, in Oxford, um, we didn't want to give to that church. It is a wealthy church. I'd just come out of um, a time in Uganda, and I knew that sending money back to Uganda could pay for school fees of children who I knew out there. And so I sent our 10% across there uh, rather than giving it to the church. And the result was that after a year, we found we just didn't feel part of the church. We are complaining and grumbling bitterly about the church, um, and we're struggling in that church. And the Lord put it on our hearts to, in fact, give half of our tithe um, to give 5% to the church and then use the other 5% uh, to give away to organizations that were on our hearts um, that shared the gospel around the world. And, and we're still practicing that today. And the, the result was that we felt so much more part of the body of Christ at that church because we're investing, uh, as well as our, our gifts and abilities, we're investing the, the, the money that God had gifted to us back into um, that church. So there's a, a five plus five rule that you might like to use. Uh, here's another one. Pastor John Piper in the States has this quite radical rule of deciding at the beginning of the year how much money his family needs to live on and giving the rest away. How about that? Who wants to try that one? Giving the rest away. I I think that's incredible. I haven't done it. Um, But but maybe one year. I'd love to try that. MJ, maybe we need to talk about that. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, None of these are prescriptive, by the way. Uh, The Old Testament mentions giving a tenth. of of your income. The New Testament doesn't set an amount. It just says we should give generously. Uh, Another idea is to start off with giving 10% of, of what comes in and every year trying to give an additional percent of your income as you go through your life. But it might be that you're listening to me and you're saying, Guy, all of those are crazy. I can't do any of those. Have you seen my bank account? Have you seen my finances? There's just no way I could do any of those. And if that is you and if that is your response, my suggestion is simply to set up a standing order of five pounds a month into the bank account. It's the equivalent of, what is it, one and a half coffees that you would have to give up. And then see if the Lord um, honors you in that and see whether over time you would be able to increase it. But with even five pounds, you would know that your heart is in a place of wanting to give. I believe that the majority of us living in this prosperous city have been blessed so that we can bless others. We're in the category of those who have a gift of giving. So let's use this gift generously. So the question is, what gifts has the Lord given you to build up the body? And how does he want you to use them? How would you answer those questions posed by um, Tim Keller of affinity? What grabs your heart? What abilities do you have? And where do you see the opportunities? Let's pray.